Welcome to the Creatives with AI podcast. I'm your host, David, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industries. In today's episode, I chat with Zara Anita Paul and Aaron Morris, co-founders of Chopity.com. It's an AI video editing website for turning long podcasts, interviews, and speeches into short, shareable social media clips. In our conversation, we discuss AI's potential benefits and risks, its role in privacy and social media, and the responsibility of humans and corporations in using AI. We stress the importance of reevaluating our understanding of what it means to be human in this technology-driven world. We explore a variety of use cases and examples, such as influencing capitalism and government, how AI struggles with humor, predicting personal preferences, and the difficulty of detecting deepfakes. Zara and Aaron both have computer science degrees from Durham University and launched Chopity at the start of 2023. They're building the company in public and they openly discuss their company's progress, challenges and wins, and they release their revenue figures every week on LinkedIn. So if you're interested in that sort of thing and you want to watch a company being built from the ground up, you might want to give them a follow over there. Links to Zara and Aaron's profiles and social media will be in the show notes on our website at creativeswith.ai. And just before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that I've started this episode right in the middle of us chatting before we were due to formally start the podcast. I did this because when I was doing the rough edits, I thought there were some interesting things that came up during this part of the chat. So I just wanted to leave them in as is. So when you listen to it, you'll hear that I go back and then want to do the intros and stuff, but that is on purpose. So hopefully that's not too bugging and you'll enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this casual conversation with Zara and Aaron. Is there a specific uh, direction that you're wanting to take the uh, the recording? By the way, no, I, I don't. I didn't want to get too overly prescriptive with it. Do you know what I mean? I think with you guys, I just want to have a chat. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're obviously involved. You know, all the time in using AI and stuff like that. I think it. You know, we can just have a just a general chat about it i don't have like a massive list of questions prepared like like i did for yope yesterday it was a little, <laughs> yeah, sure. for that one but it was he's like used to being yeah. interviewed by like you know forbes mm. and and wired magazine and and like proper <laughs> journalists and stuff so so yesterday i was talking mm-hmm. to a guy named yope and yope is the founder of pause ai and he has a massive existential dread of you know, what AI is, is going to bring and what it's going to do to society. And so he is, he is genuinely very much worried that it is, you know, has the capacity and the ability to wipe out humanity. And he's, he's very worried about that. And he's been working on this thing for several years now. But yeah, he, he genuinely believes it and he does get quite emotional mm-hmm. when he talks about it sometimes. If, you know, if, even he admitted he, he started on the surface where, you know, he, he was quite, he, he, I think he just wound himself up about it and just really started to just get inside his own head. And, you know, he was just kind of swirling around inside his own head and he just, he built up all this, you know, like this is literally the end of humanity and we're all going to die and we've got to stop this now. And then I think he's kind of come back from that a little bit over time where he's kind of stepped back from the edge. A little bit, but he still has that. And sometimes when you talk to him, I mean, I've talked to him a few times now. And and sometimes if he stays on the, if you get him talking about it too long, mm. he actually starts mm. to become emotional about it again, which is quite powerful, actually, that 
you know, that, that he really does feel it. And I said to him, you know, I said, first of all, it's important to have this discussion. You know, I want, you know, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. And I do think that it potentially has a lot more benefits than, you know, than, than negatives. But at the same time, there are risks and we do need to, you know, we need to look out for those, which is why I started the podcast in the first place. Yeah, it was a really interesting discussion. Most of the people that just people in my personal network that I've talked to and said, oh, I talked to this guy. It's the only episode that people have really engaged with. It kind of said, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I really want to hear that. So I might try and push that one out mm. sooner than I would have just because people seem to be really Yeah, I'd, I'd be really keen to hear it, actually. I think it's the, the conversation around this I, I'm finding conflicting and, and interesting. And I think that there's, mm. to a huge extent, I think the, the conversation around AI often absorbs the responsibility of the humans who actually use it. And I actually think that that's quite problematic because we talk about AI as if it's something that currently has a mind of its own and currently is autonomous, which it isn't. And the only reason that it's, you know, stealing people's jobs and, and you know, doing all these things is because we're, that's how humans are using it and that's how companies are using it. And I, I think that that's where the true problem lies, not with AI in and of itself, in the same way that, you know, social media isn't problematic in and of itself. It's just the way that we use it. And it's just the people behind it who have, you know, built it in specific ways that make it dangerous or use it in dangerous ways. But AI in, in and of itself is just, I don't know, a tool. <laughs> yeah. It, it's something that I said to him mm-hmm. yesterday, which is, yeah, it's people. I mean, at the end of the day, and this sounds terrible, but yeah. I have no confidence in the average yeah, human. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just because most people, when pushed, tend to mm-hmm. act in their own best interest, which necessarily isn't mm-hmm. the the interest of the greater good. And it's not. I don't. I don't judge people harshly or think that they're bad people because mm-hmm. of that. I think that's just how humans are. But we have to understand that. And you're absolutely right. I think, you know, we also talked about the fact that I think a lot of the people, you know, there's this whole dual use issue, right? Mm -hmm. So everything can be used for good or it can be used for bad. You know, you've got a knife. A knife can cut your food and it can help you eat and it can help you cut down trees and it can help you do all these things, but it can kill you as well. So Mm -hmm. it's all about how it gets used. And and unfortunately, at the minute, I think we're in a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm with some stuff. And I think what most people are worried about is, you know, it's, it's the military and defense and stuff like that who are using it. And I think that's what everybody's really worried about and the potential for it's the scale. If one person goes out, I mean, yeah, okay. I could, you know, we see this in the U S all the time, unfortunately, but you get school shootings or, you know, guys go off in a mall or like whatever, and they kill 10 or 15 people, but that's 10 or 15 people, Mm. not 10 or 15 million people. (laughs) <laughs> right so it's a it's a whole different scale but again i mean we nuclear weapons give us the capability of wiping out the world as well it's not like we haven't had access to these you know super destructive technologies before ai you know i think that to a certain extent the the mass fear with ai doesn't necessarily come from entirely what the capabilities of ai are today a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding of what AI actually is and what we actually use it for. 
And uh, probably also comes from, you know, kind of sci-fi and stuff that people have seen and read about, you know, oh, this is what AI will look like in, in 50 years time when, when we don't know, no one knows. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's mm. something else that we, we touched on yesterday. And, and it's one of the, uh, it's funny that you mentioned it. It's one of the things that I've, in the flow of the conversation, I forgot to mention it and to talk about it, but you mentioned sci-fi, which is quite interesting because I think there's two different versions. Well, there's three different versions, but the two main ones are Star Trek, which is, you know, everybody, we've pretty mm-hmm. much eliminated wars except with aliens. There's no money, right? Nobody wants for anything. You've never seen anybody use credits or buy anything or anything. It's just, if you need food, you go and a machine makes it for you. It's, you know, it's it's a, a peaceful society. We live with technology, we live with robots, you know, robots have a little control thing on them so they don't get, you know, start killing humans and and whatever. And we all just kind of get along and it's this Mm -hmm. utopian view. Mm. We've also got Mad Max, (laughs) which I think is the other side. And then there's something in the middle, like you, you either get something like a cyberpunk kind of thing, which could work, or you get Mm -hmm. something like Dune, Dune's a quite interesting one where you have, they literally killed all the computers that could think. So essentially they do have computers, but the only Mm -hmm. computers they have are like the ones we have today. So they don't have that problem solving capability Mm -hmm. because they nearly wiped out humanity. So we have a few different examples to work with. I personally like Mm -hmm. to think that we're on the Star Trek path, but but we very yeah. well could be on the yeah, Mad Max possibly. path. I think it just depends on what humans do with it. Uh, I came across the the term of the singularity recently with regards to AI that um, eventually we'll just reach mm. that. Exactly at that what you're saying, you don't you don't really have a need for the for the the issues that we currently have today by way of war, hunger, I mean capitalism, I guess we could say as well. It just kind of mm. gets uh, removed. Yeah. It's, it's no longer an issue. Yeah, but then that's that's kind of another yeah. point actually which is that if you're ai is so kind of entrenched in a in a capitalist system right now it's what's driven its growth actually and it's and its progress and it's what's continuing to kind of you know support it really it's the fact that we're paying for it it's the fact that people can profit from it and i i feel more and more like even though we're understanding the kind of true consequences of of capitalism it's a system that's going to be harder and harder for us to break away from, especially as people stand to earn so much from, from technology nowadays. You know, it, it, I think that it, again, you were talking about the scale of AI and yeah, the, the, I think the scale just gets blown out of proportion when you've got AI, suddenly your costs are massively reduced and the number of people that you can reach is also huge and the amount of work that you can do is massive as well. But then I wonder whether or not that would lend itself to to capitalism because I guess at some point you could reach that race to the bottom where actually for a government, it's beneficial to be able to provide food, high quality healthcare, technology, et cetera, to to their citizens. Mm. And once you have that, actually that's that's quite important um and there won't necessarily be space for capitalism to thrive you know you could see it more along the 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 lines of universal basic income and that sort of thing yeah but then how often do you see governments being the ones that are pushing for 
you know, pushing technological progress. It's it's actually it's usually companies and private organizations, not not governments. And in fact, governments tend to be really behind when it comes to any kind of technological advance, which is problematic in, in different ways. But they're definitely not at the forefront of innovation. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been interesting having worked mm-hmm. with public sector. So one of the contracts I do is with Oxfordshire County Council and I work with their innovation hub. And it's been interesting to to really get a better understanding of the the types mm-hmm. of things that government have to worry about that technologists don't. So, you know, you get a lot of creative people who will go out and they'll create all sorts of really cool new toys and things because they can. The the example I use, I just mm-hmm. use or I've used before is Waze. You know, Waze was an amazing tool when it came out because the basic idea, which seems fine on the surface, is, oh, well, we just want to give people a different way to avoid traffic. So if there's a, you know, a shortcut they can use or if they can cut through this little side street or something, then, you know, that can get them around this traffic jam and they can get where they're going faster, which again, on the surface, sounds great for people. But there was no consideration given to the fact that those side roads are not engineered mm-hmm. and they're not built to handle that level of traffic that's now going down them. And it's not just about the fact that the people that live on the street have to deal with more cars. It's about the fact that the actual road surface was not designed for big trucks and all that. It's it's designed for light traffic in a neighborhood. And so all of a sudden, when you start having loads of traffic going down, it's creating tons of extra wear and tear. The roadbed and the road surface is not designed for that. So all of a sudden, you're now negatively impacting the infrastructure, which is actually very expensive to go back and repair because you just thought it would be a good idea to direct a bunch of people around, which on the surface, it seems fine, but it's actually not. And so now you've got governments going in and putting in the you know what they call low traffic neighborhoods. And in the low traffic neighborhoods, it's great for the people who live there. And it's also great for the, the government because it sort of gets the traffic back down to the level that it was engineered for in the first place. But now everybody, not everybody, but the drivers who are used to being able to take all the shortcuts now are up in arms and saying, oh, well, you can't close these roads off because it's really inconvenient. It's like, yeah, but you were never supposed to drive there in the first place, which is actually an interesting segue into what you guys are doing. So we've had a long rambling conversation here at the beginning. And what I'll probably do is maybe we'll do the little intro bit here now, and then I can take that and cut that in to the front. And then it'll seem a little bit more. And then we'll mm-hmm. we'll get into all the stuff we've been talking about. I'll just yeah, move that good. further back in the yeah. podcast. So maybe if we do that, yeah, yeah, yeah. then we can keep going if that's all right. <laughs> well, I knew that would happen. <laughs> mm. But this is the fun of talking to people that I know, right? Like, you know, we, we had an opportunity to spend a few hours together, right, at the podcast show and stuff. And so it makes it much easier to talk to, to you guys than, you know, talking to yeah. someone who... I've spent 15 or 20 minutes doing an intro call with. So that mm. that's why I kind of like just chatting. So I've got Zara and Aaron here today, and we met each other at the podcast show in London a few months ago. And you guys have a tool that called Choppity. And Choppity is a way to, I'm going to do a, a ham-fisted way of explaining it, and I'm going to let you do it in just a second. But it's a, it's a way to automatically 
well, to use AI to create clips. Yeah, yeah. So it's specifically for video podcasters to make marketing clips from their podcast episodes. If you do it manually, then you kind of usually have to listen to, let's say, an hour-long podcast, go through, find the interesting clips uh, with AI. And once you transcribe a video, so you get the all of the words that were spoken in the video, uh, you can do that to a decent standard pretty much automatically. But then there's also just kind of like a visual elements. So making sure you can change a landscape video into a portrait one by detecting faces, adding uh, animated captions to improve engagement and accessibility, that sort of thing. So that's, that's kind of what we're focused on. I did promise that I would do this and I would publicly shame myself because <laughs> I have said in the past that I use all the AI tools to, um, to help me produce the podcast and to do things like transcripts and to create clips, but I don't actually use Choppity, so I'm really sorry about that. But I am going to use it to create the clips from this podcast. So because <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I actually couldn't bring myself to use another tool. <laughs> that would be, so many. That would be hugely you. embarrassing though. Because <laughs> I can see you guys going, hang on, you've created clips, but you don't have an account? Let's go. <laughs> so I promise I will use it. We don't take it personally, don't, don't worry. <laughs> no, it's all right, but it's a, it, I should do, right? I, should, uh, I, I do try and support all the guests that I have on the show where I can, so I should do that and I will do that. We so. should only support us if it's actually useful for you. We don't want you yeah. to... Uh, waste your time and money on something which is worse uh, and that's not useful for us either because yeah, then we just think we have a good product but exactly we don't. <laughs> we're, we're actively trying to bring value where we're not just trying to take your money <laughs> <laughs> no 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 that's fair enough but i'm i'm still and I, and i said this the other day and i know i said it to you earlier but i'll say it again it's it is ironic that i run a podcast talking about you know how ai is going to impact the creative industry and yet I use all the AI tools possible so that I don't have to hire someone and I, and I can do all this myself. So Actually, I think that that's one of the areas in which AI is incredibly beneficial, which is that it's kind of democratized access to technology to a bunch of individuals who otherwise wouldn't have the resources, the time or the money to be able to create things. So I, I think that that kind of touches on, you know, the the primary benefit of AI really, which is for the individual. Yeah. Still. <laughs> Still, it is ironic that that's what I talk about and that's what I do. I'm hoping though that I will get to the point where I, AI tools are good. And I guess this is, this is a, a good way into the discussion maybe is what I found is, is that AI tools are good for a lot of things, but they still only do about 80% of the work, mm -hmm. right? And I'm curious, that actually leads me to a specific question I have for you guys. So when, when somebody uses your tool, for example, would I upload the whole video and then you guys would, your tool would set off and go and, tr and find the clips itself? Or do I need to identify where the clips are and then I upload them to your tool and then it does something with them from there? So at the moment, you upload your full podcast episode, and then we've deliberately taken the approach of AI suggestions as opposed to AI does it for you. And the reason for that is exactly what you said, like AI does 80% of the work, but you still need that human to do that, that last little bit. And oftentimes an AI will find something that not a human might not necessarily think of as being, you know, the, the perfect 
section. And so currently what we do is uh, you upload your video and we'll suggest some clips for you. And then the user has the option to manually change the start and end times or to manually just select a whole new clip if they're not happy with what the AI chose. And that applies for all of the other bits that the AI does as well. Specifically, we want to maintain as much flexibility as possible for the user whilst doing you know, the, the bulk of the work. The heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about how the AI determines what's interesting. How does that, is that something that you, that you have to tell it? So this, this is kind of getting into the, you know, a little bit about how it works. And, and you know, if, mm-hmm. if you've got special IP, then, then fine, you don't have to share that. But just in a general sense, how does it, how does it figure out or how does it come up with a list? Because, you know, there are other tools like the recording platform that, that we use, Riverside. Riverside does that as well. But I've never been, I've asked them a million times, how does it find the clips? And nobody seems to know. So is it, <laughs> is it still a very much a black box or do you, do you, have you trained it to find stuff? And does it, well, that's a better follow-up question. I'll stop there and then I have a follow-up question. Yeah, so um, it, it's a great question. In fact, so I can't really go into exact specifics of how it works because that's kind of uh, one of the most useful and I guess I would say defensible things that anybody who does this kind of uh, work has. However, I can explain some kind of ideas as to how you could do it. So let's say you were trying to find something which is funny. Funny is really difficult. How on earth do you train an AI to figure out what's funny? Yeah, It doesn't even, you know, you might first think, oh, well, if people are laughing, mm-hmm. that might mean that that was a funny thing, right? And that's an easy thing, sure. But in often, often in times, you know, people aren't laughing. And in fact, tone might be useful, you know? If something is said with a certain intonation, that might be funny. But that doesn't work either because you have deadpan comedians who say hilarious things with straight faces. So that doesn't work either. Then you can kind of think about, okay, well, what about actual sentence structures? What kind of words tend to be funny? That again, in and of itself, words alone don't tend to be funny. So you need to look at them in terms of sentence structures. And one thing which you can think of which might work slightly better is that when you think about what makes something actually funny, usually there's um, a a punchline or some kind of context, uh, which means that you betray expectations is kind of how I I would talk about it. So for example, if you have a sentence which is, the sky is, most people think that the next word is blue. But actually, if you say red, then there's you could argue there's an element of humor in there, right? So it's a very simplistic example to to explain how you can see that things which are not expected could be uh, funny or interesting or insightful. So that's kind of like a, a, a roundabout way that I would explain how you could go about doing this sort of thing. I understand that totally makes sense. Then my next question is, if someone's a customer or, or on the platform in general, if it goes and makes recommendations and then people choose some and don't choose some, do you use that in the training set so that the AI starts to learn what's funny in certain clips and what's not funny? Because if people don't choose them, then that's a sort of a no. And if they do it, then that's a reward, right? So then they get a yes. So then it's rewarding the the algorithm to maybe try and find more that are similar. And so first of all, I guess the question is, does it do that on a, like a global basis? And then second of all, I guess the question is, does it do it on an individual customer basis? So if I'm a customer 
and you're making recommendations, I'm uploading videos, you're making recommendations, I'm going, yeah, I like that one. No, I don't like that one. Is it training also for my my individual account so that it starts to work out what I personally find funny versus what maybe the everybody on the platform finds funny? Yeah, it's a great question. So in short, right now, actually, no. Uh, and one of the reasons why is because we're in the early stages of being, you know, we're a startup. And the difficulty is, is if you imagine that you actually do go about doing that and you uh, record all of the things that people actually export and, and do choose and select. And like you say, you have this reward, uh, you know, rejection side of things. You actually need a huge data set. A, a massive data set to be able to really start to infer anything from that. Again, you could potentially see that, okay, this one individual tends to find things, you know, or select clips which are, you know, which which contain certain words or certain ideas. But even within that, you won't necessarily know unless you ask, why is the reason that you selected this? It could actually be that in one clip, I'm talking about my dog, Hubert, I don't know. And that's a funny clip. And in another one, it's about how my dog Hubert died. And that's a sad clip. And maybe that's why I chose it. Or maybe that's explicitly why I chose not to, mm. to, to incorporate it. Yeah. So um, I, I totally agree. And it's something that's useful. It's just slightly more difficult and nuanced yeah. than, than you would kind of hope for. Okay. It's just, a, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, you could take the simple phrase, my dog died. Right. My dog died could be the punchline to a joke (laughs) that's actually really funny. Or it could be super sad because your dog died. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And And again, in both both cases, you might want a really sad and emotional clip, and that might be what you want to use to market. Yeah, Um, that's true. So so it's a difficult, difficult uh, task. Yeah, I imagine. It's, it's similar. I spent a lot of my career working in sort of digital advertising and, and data analytics and looking at things like sentiment analysis. So this is very similar. It's sort of a, probably a sister technology really to the sentiment analysis and trying to understand, you know, it used to be, I mean, this is a well-trodden path now, but in the beginning, people trying to understand, you know, what, what, what does someone mean when they say something on Twitter, for example? And, you know, trying to understand sarcasm, just, it doesn't work. Like in, I've talked to some, okay, go back a step. So in one of the things that you do, obviously in, in, in government is, is you survey the public a lot. And so a lot of those surveys come back and they have open text fields where people can write in answers. And there was a, recently there was a very large one um, that ran, I probably shouldn't say where it was, but there was a large one that ran. They got like 25,000 responses and there were 14 open text fields <laughs> that they had in the questionnaire all the way through. Mm. And and they had to somehow analyze all of this. Mm. And I was talking to them about, you know, maybe trying to come up with a way to do it and maybe using AI or some, you know, some of the machine learning tools to do it. And they said, that they had spoken to some of the companies who do that analysis and literally the company said, we don't work with any UK customers because people in the UK are so sarcastic that we can't ever determine whether they're actually being serious or not. And so our tools don't work. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that, makes, that, makes yeah, sense. that yeah. does make sense. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about Brexit? I love it. <laughs> exactly. Okay, which way, what yeah. direction is that in? <laughs> yeah. And, and Best thing that ever happened. 
<laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. And um, I actually did a piece of work, a piece of research work and just that was internally. And I, I probably should do, do it fully. We just did a, a, a very small sample because out of 25,000, you know, you can, you can take a fairly small sample that's representative of the whole group. But what we were trying to do is they also had a lot of questions where you rated it on a scale, mm. you know, sort of one to 10, let's call it. And so confusingly, sometimes one was bad and sometimes one was good. <laughs> but anyway. On the same survey. Yeah, within the same, not not the same question, but yeah. one, one question might be rate it one to 10 at 10 being mm-hmm. good and one being bad. And then another yeah. question later in the survey would say, rate this one to 10, whereas one would be good and 10 would be bad. Oh, shit. So why? You had to, I don't know. Um, (laughs) It was done by committee. I don't know. Um, So so first of all, you had to adjust for that. So then you had to go and flip them all around so that they were all on the same sort of thing. And then you had to look at, anyway, but what I was looking at was could you adjust could you find sarcasm by looking at the ratings that they'd given to mm-hmm. other questions? And let's say if 80% of the ratings they gave were negative and then they have a positive, I love it, then that probably mm-hmm. would mean that it was sarcastic mm-hmm. because it yeah. didn't match with the rest of the answers. And that was the only way. And, and we weren't confident that it was accurate enough, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, mm. I'm not that smart. I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll say that straight away. I'm not that smart. So I assume that somebody who works for a company that does sentiment analysis would have tried that already and it must not mm. work. But I did find it really interesting that they just said, yeah, our tools don't really work for the UK. Yeah. But it's also, it's interesting to me that people answer surveys in a sarcastic way, you know, <laughs> You think of sarcasm as being a kind of social tool, you know, a way of interacting with other people, not not a way of interacting with a form or a survey. So that's, yeah, I, f- I find that interesting. You would probably be appalled if you saw some, really? of, their, some of their responses, particularly for public inquiries. Mm. You know, and it's... Again, it's been really interesting to work on sort of that side of the fence. Like I, I don't actually work for the council. I just, I, I help them with some business planning and things like that. Mm. So I don't, I don't have anything to do with policy or, or any of that. But it's been really interesting to kind of get a feel for, you know, you, you, you literally can't make anybody happy any of the time. And it's, it's hugely frustrating because no matter how much you want to do a good job or you're trying to do what you think is the right thing, you know, half the people are going to disagree with you. Mm. You know, even if you say we want free medicine, you know, we want free medical care for everybody under the NHS, there's still a small group of people who think that that's totally the wrong thing to do and will tell you that you're doing it wrong, right? Like there's no universal agreement on pretty much anything. And mm. and that makes it really difficult. And so this is, we should probably bring the conversation back around to AI before I, <laughs> before we lose people in the conversation. But this is the challenge that I guess you guys have again at trying to to identify the clips, and it's it's a challenge that we're going to have, I think, across AI tools in general, is how it can interpret what people are saying to actually understand what they really want, and then to be able to take an action around that. So I can, yeah, I can see how that could be really difficult. 
Yeah, I was just going to jump in. Actually, a startup that I was um, working with a while ago, they are working in privacy, but in individuals' privacy. So you can, for example, let's say I'm a Twitter user and I'm you know, Facebook, Instagram, and I have all of these different social accounts in my blog. Just based on, based on activity, you can infer quite a lot about a person. So if I like this post by you know a certain uh, certain person, then I might share a certain uh, worldview. And if I do that repeatedly, and you can kind of, if you have a big enough data set and you really track all of this stuff, you can really infer a lot of information about people. And um, it's kind of a, a similar thing where using AI, using this, the, the same kind of AI and the same inference techniques that you would use, you can flip it the other way around and actually make it so that it's very difficult to know anything about you. For example, let's say you liked, you know, uh, a post by a certain person of a certain political view, then you just go and like one of somebody from the complete opposite point of view. And it becomes very difficult to know what your uh, actual yeah. worldview is. Yeah. Uh, of course, the easiest way is to just not be online at all <laughs> and to never say anything. <laughs> but, yeah. but that's also quite difficult. <laughs> it is. What's interesting about that is I, I think I think there's potential that the whole AI thing you know, when you start thinking about fake news and deep fakes and all that sort of stuff is, is actually going to ruin social media for everybody. And everybody's just going to get to the point where you can't believe literally anything that you see or hear. Mm-hmm. And so it will mean, and I think it's happening already, is people are just stopping using it because all it is is ads and a bunch of fake stuff. It's kind of lost the the real humor and the real contact with real people that it had in the beginning. And mm-hmm. I, I think people are moving away. Like my son doesn't do any social media at all none not any of it he and his mates use whatsapp to chat with each other to make plans and things like that but they don't they don't just chat all the time and he uses discord because they play games together so they Mm. use it more like a telephone than anything else so he doesn't just sit on there and chat with people all day they literally come together they all get online they play a game together they use discord to do the the voice chat bit and that's it. And then that's, you know, that's all he does. And I know loads of his friends are the same way. So I think we've got a generation, you know, coming behind that, that don't really use those tools because they just don't see the the value in it, which is really, mm. which, which will be an interesting wrinkle to see how that pans yeah. out. When you were talking uh, though, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, so about that, I actually have a, a somewhat half formulated thought when it comes to, if you think about governmental broadcasts on TV and things like that, right? Uh, at what point does it become the state that you don't know whether or not it has just been hacked and deep faked uh, and you have no idea whether to trust it? Mm. And I wonder, and again, this kind of converges on the idea of, uh, of singularity and converging, convergence of AI, but text is the easiest thing to fake. Images are slightly harder, but also we've gotten pr- pretty, pretty damn well Pretty doing it pretty well. Right? It's pretty. It's pretty easy now. <laughs> yeah, and then video is harder to fake. That's still quite easy to detect right now. Not not a hundred percent accurate, especially if you have kind of abnormal movement and things like that. It's quite easy to detect when a, a video is real and at least to the very uh, to the very least not hundred percent generated. Uh, but I wonder if as the uh, kind of computational power and complexity needed to fake something gets more and more difficult, the more trustworthy it can get. So whether or not we will start seeing completely 3D broadcasted virtual reality 
um, whatever full-on sensory experiences, which again could be faked, but are just so hard that it might be more trustworthy and whether we might see things like that happening. Yeah, it could be. You know about the Mandalorian, right? Instead of the, when they filmed the Mandalorian, instead of using green screens, they used LED screens in the background. Yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah. And you, you can't even, yeah, like, you can't tell. Right? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, they do, there was just a, I think a Mercedes Benz commercial that was done in Unreal Engine 5. Cool. That you can't tell wasn't filmed. Like, mm. lit, it's like photorealistic which is really interesting as well. And, and I've talked to a couple of people in the film industry and they've mentioned that, that, you know, the, the technology that, that's been used traditionally for gaming is now mm. becoming accessible. And it's so good that you literally can't tell it apart from film. So it's not even CGI. Mm. It's, it's a whole different thing that's, that's even better and really difficult to tell apart. When you were talking a minute ago about looking at people's profiles online and stuff. When, when we were at the show, I can't remember if we talked about this, but did I tell you about the, the guy that I knew who had the technology that could look at the photos on your phone? No. no I don't think so. Right. So <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. So I, I know a guy and um, this company isn't operating anymore um, as far as I know, but I saw his pitch at a, at a startup event in Italy and he worked he came up with the idea because he worked for the tourism department in Israel. And mm. there's, there are two main industries, tourism industries in Israel. One is religious tourism, obviously, because like every religion in the world is there pretty much. But the other one is actually gay tourism. Mm. And their challenge was, is you don't really want to mix those audiences up because there's, <laughs> there's generally speaking, generally speaking, there's not much crossover between the two, right? <laughs> generally speaking, I know I'm treading on dangerous territory here, but generally speaking, they're different audiences. And so mm-hmm. you don't want to serve the wrong type of ad when you're right. trying to target the content. Mm-hmm. And I'll keep the story as short as possible, but basically he worked out that what they created was a, a software kit an SDK that you could, that any company could put into an insert into their own app. And what it would do is they could analyze the photos on your phone that were in your photo roll. It never sent any information back to the company. It did everything on the handset. So there was no privacy mm-hmm. concern about them mm-hmm. actually seeing a photo. Like they couldn't even download the photo, even if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. But what they could do is they could analyze the photos and they could tell with like 99.9% surety which one of those two camps you fell into. Mm. But then he realized that they could do like 200 different attributes as well. Sure. To a very, very high level of surety. So you could tell if they could tell if you had a pet, they could tell what kind of pet it was. Mm-hmm. Was it a dog or a cat? Were you married? Did you have kids? Where did you live? Where did you go on holiday? Like, you know, what was your broadly your socioeconomic level? Like, where did mm-hmm. you live? Like, all of this information they could find out. And so what they did is they did the analysis. They created a, a profile that was just numbers. Mm-hmm. And then they could share that with the, the advertisers could use that profile to then target ads to you based on your profile. Mm-hmm. And again, they didn't send the information off to the advertiser. It was all done on the handset. Mm-hmm. But that's a situation where 
they can look at images just that you take and they can just tell from the pictures that you have on your phone, 200 different attributes about you, your religion, whether you're gay, like all these really personal type things they could do pretty much straight away immediately, Mm. which is pretty scary. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And I guess that also it's interesting because that's where I think the question about regulation really comes into play because exactly as you said, right, in order for them to be able to process that data remotely or for them to be able to process process it away from your phone, they would definitely have needed to, you know, ask for permissions or whatever. Mm. But the fact that they're able to do that legally on your local device. Yep. Is it legal? Yeah. I think it, it is, is yeah. because they, it's yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. even with GDPR, right, it's actually yep. only if you can be able to form a profile, but if you're just using it in order to serve ads where you don't actually come in, in, in touch with any of that data, yep. the data is basically it's being used without you actually having access to it, if that makes sense. Okay. Yep. And so it sounds fishy to me. It, it does. Very, it sounds fishy, but because it I think does it depends, sound completely legal as well. It, it depends on what you call the data, because actually, if yeah. it's just the, the images and it's, oh, you can't transfer the images, but actually, if anybody can infer things from those images, that's still part of the data that's contained. But they don't have access to it. Yeah. That's but the you, whole point, is that it's all on the person's device where those photos already yeah. are. Mm. It's not leaving. It's not going anywhere. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, none of us are lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Just want well, to throw that lawyers, out there. Don't take our advice on any of this. <laughs> and, uh, and if he listens, I am still connected to him on LinkedIn and, and spoke to him not too long ago. I won't use his name or, or the name of his mm-hmm. company because I don't think it's actually running anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that was or what happened. So it could have been that it turned out that legally they had, they had problems or ran into problems mm. or something. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I so do know at the, the time that it was working and that they can do that. And so, mm. you know, when you put that in the context of trying to build a profile around somebody and then having an AI being able to like mm-hmm. a custom AI, if, you know, they've, they've talked about having personal assistance and things like that, you know, that you could put on your phone that you'd be able to have an AI to talk to and you could just say, hey, do this for me, book a reservation, find me a holiday, whatever. Knowing that if the AI just had access just to your photo roll on your phone, it could instantly know two or 300 things about you mm. that maybe you didn't even realize. Yeah. And it could start to give you content and do things that would fit with your personality because mm. it knows about you. And you would just look at that and go, how the hell does it know all this stuff? And it all it mm. did was just, that's just your photo roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like what if AI yeah, yeah. has access to everything else as well? But I mean, I, I think individuals have been doing this for ages, it's just inference attacks. And just to be a lo- little bit meta, you know, you said you're not going to give us the name of, uh, of this, this person on this company. I don't know either, but you did say that you're connected on LinkedIn. I don't think it's going to be hard. It wouldn't be hard for me to find that. If you want to sift through the 5,000 or 6,000 connections I have on LinkedIn and try and work it well, out. <laughs> but hey, it's, it's always a question of a person, whether or not a person who's motivated enough could do it. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think the threshold's that high. I don't yeah. think actually he would really care if I did say his name, but I won't just to, just bring him on the show just in case. <laughs> well, you say, yeah, no, you say that it's a really good, it's a really good point. And I think what would be interesting potentially to talk to him about is 
essentially what's the difference between what he was doing and what people are calling AI at the minute? Because mm. really all he was doing was machine learning. It was mm -hmm. just a machine learning algorithm that went in and could analyze literally the pixels that were stored in the file to, you know, to then recognize what that object was mm -hmm. and then, you know, what was in that image and then create a bunch of metadata about it and then analyze the metadata to come up with some sort of a profile. So it's a, it's a couple of different machine learning steps in there, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, that's what, I mean, people would call that tool an AI tool these days. But that's, you know, he just, it was, it was just a software SDK that you could put into your app to make your mm -hmm. ad targeting more accurate. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. AI and machine learning, it's all very, I don't know, misunderstood terms, mm -hmm. I think, by most people. Everything pretty much turns into an if else block if you look at it from, from <laughs> high enough up. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's, it's all pretty much the same. But again, that's the same. I, I imagine it's the same as uh, the human mind works. It's yeah. actually just an if else block. It's, there's no, the, it's just the way that you, you tune the, the weights and the biases yeah. and the parameters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's also where the conversation around kind of work theft becomes interesting to me because you know you you train kind of image generation ais and text generation ais on on other people's work but you also train yourself on other people's work <laughs> you know you you learn to read through reading texts that other people have written and you learn to take photos through looking at photos that other people have taken and you know i also think another good example of this is dj's a lot of the time they'll use literal samples that have been created by other people and just stick it together to create something new that is then their own at, at what point is it inappropriate to do that and why is it that it's inappropriate for technology to do that yeah and furthermore what does it have to say about consciousness mm -hmm. well um, exactly where it tends to go <laughs> every artist in the world when you go to art school you copy other artists mm -hmm. and and you're absolutely right and that this is what it gets back to and i i think i have this funny feeling that a lot of people like to think that humans are really complex and we're really complicated <laughs> and we're actually not <laughs> and i think this is what ai is actually really pointing out and i think mm -hmm. there's an interesting i've got a a psychologist who's going to come on. And I really want to dig into the psychology behind that because I think you're absolutely right that AI is no different really than a person. But what it shows is, is how simple humans really are. Mm -hmm. And the fact that a few algorithms can essentially act the same and give the same responses or better than, than any average human can on any topic. Mm -hmm. is uh, I think that's surprising to a lot of people. And I think it's slightly unsettling. And that could be part of the pushback that, you know, when people really dig into it, you, you there's a little bit of a realization and some self-reflection, I think, that needs to happen. And everybody starts to go, wow, okay, like this is better than me at answering questions. Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? And what does that mean for us? And what does that mean about being human? And I don't know, those are big questions, but, and, and I'm not, well, I guess I'm as qualified as anyone, you know, we're all qualified to answer those, but, but they're massive questions and something that, to think about. And I wonder if that just has, if that's part of the, the reason that people are so unsettled.
Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, what do you I, think? I think? I think when it comes to a question of, uh, you know, people being worried about an AI being better than a human. I mean, we've had chess engines around for years, which are much better than every single human being on planet Earth. Um, Excel is much better than humans at doing maths for the most part. <laughs> but you still got to put the, well, for traditionally, you still had to understand the maths to put it in. Like it could do the math, mm. but you still had to know what to do. We're now entering an era where you don't even need to know what to do. I was at a book launch event and I was talking to someone and we were talking about AI for accounting. And it was their position that, you know, accounting's too complicated. There are all these little, you know, ways of going about doing things and sort of avoiding this. And, oh, well, I want to put that over there this time and not that time. And, and I said, okay. And I said, but the bookkeeping part of it, of, you know, recording transactions and doing all that stuff would be really, you know, pretty straightforward. And then, then she, she sort of stared off into space for a minute. And then she said, but wouldn't it be amazing if it would do my board reports for me and my shareholder reports for me and, and all the reporting and all the emails that if it could just go in and, and then you could just see in her mind that she just started to go down the track of, oh, wow, what is all this? Stuff? Like, it could just do this stuff for me that I hate to do all the time. And yeah. again, it's not going to write it perfectly the first time. But if it could compile all the numbers and get everything together, put it in a document, put it in a nice format, get all the, the charts and the graphs and the everything and do it all for you. And then all you have to do is basically then you go back and you start going, okay, well, I don't want to show that. You know, you're the head of sales. You're like, I got to fudge this a little bit because I know that deal's <laughs> coming in. And, I know, you know, and there's always a little bit of fiddling that goes on. That brings up a really mm. interesting point, though, talking about what's perfect because sure the state of ai right now isn't necessarily perfect but it's not far-fetched to see how it could become perfect quote unquote but in something like that like where you need a creative accountant for for whatever reason yeah that's a human thing yeah right it's a human thing to some extent to, to want to be Is creative it? but again in the same way that a human has their own you know weights and biases and things that they've learned in order in order to want to be creative in that way there's no reason why you couldn't again train an ai to be perfectly imperfect um yeah. in the same way mm -hmm. well as you know all ai has it has randomness built into it by default because when it doesn't have randomness it's not good so there is a bit of chaos that has to be in the system intentionally or it it becomes not useful the other side of that is and and one of the arguments that later in the conversation I pushed back with was, I said, yeah, but what if the AI is able to come up with strategies that you never would have thought of? Because it intimately knows all of the rules, all the laws, all the regulations, mm -hmm. all the everything. So when it starts looking at your transactions and you think, oh, I want to set this up like this, and then I'm going to pay this in dividends and I'm going to do it like that. And the AI comes back and says, well, no, actually, you should do it like this. And you reduce your tax bill by 40% and your personal tax, but like, and you go, wow, I never would have thought of that because it under, understands, it knows all the rules mm -hmm. and can work out what's the most efficient way to work within the rules to get the desired income, which is to pay as little tax as possible. Maybe, maybe, you know what I mean? So that's where I think it could be really powerful because it's like, mm. you know, I don't know. It's like, you know, just like in any job, you have people that are better than other people, right? So, you know, maybe you have 
someone who's been doing your books or they've been doing it for a long time. Then you've got this guy who like works for PwC and is like the leading accountant in the, the world. And, you know, if, if they came and looked at your books, they might go, yeah, okay, you could do this a little bit differently. And it might save mm-hmm. you a couple of thousand, you know, pounds on your personal tax every year. And you just need to change a couple of things about how you do these transactions. And if you just had an AI that could do that automatically and just come back and say, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> but if you just do it like that, you could save yeah. yourself a lot more money. I mean, I think the first, I think the first person that can do that is going to, is really going to be, they're going to be on a winner. I think. But, I mean, you have these kind of emergent behaviors occurring all of the time mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to any kind of deep reinforcement learning agents and stuff like that. So, I mean, in this example of accountancy, it, it, it's, it's not far-fetched to see how actually with enough context of global news and laws, you could predict, oh, well, there's a 60% chance that such and such law will be passed in the future, in which case actually your best bet is to take this thing for, based on the future which doesn't yet exist. Mm-hmm. Or in fact, yeah. why not? I'm just going to influence the, 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 yeah. the, the, the laws. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have all sorts of unintended consequences yeah, yeah. that yeah. you need to be aware of and, mm-hmm. and careful about. 100%. And, it, and it, again, it all kind of comes back to it's just like a human. You know, mm-hmm. none of us are perfect. The AI is not perfect. And, it, and that's because we're not perfect. It will never be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the, the bigger view of it is, is that there is no perfect because what I consider perfect and what you consider perfect are maybe two different things. Mm-hmm. So we get back to the kind of the content, you know, the concept of emptiness in, in Buddhism, which is, you know, if you, an event is an event and it has no good or bad. So there is no, you know, if, I don't know, Man U plays Man City and, you know, if I'm a Man U fan and they win, then that's good for me and it's bad for you. But Mm -hmm. if Man City wins, that's good for you and bad for me. So it's an imperfect result for me and it's perfect for you or vice versa. So it can never be perfect Mm -hmm. because in someone's eyes, it will be imperfect. So there is no such thing. Even for the same individual, I mean, I usually think Mm -hmm. about it from the perspective of time. So, you know, man, you wins. That's great for you. So you go out to the pub party, have one too many drinks and you get hit by a bus. That's bad for you. (laughs) Actually, because you got hit by the bus, you didn't kill three people or whatever. Exactly. It goes on forever. It goes on forever. Wow. We've got like um, quite deep here at the end. (laughs) Didn't expect to go that far down the sort of (laughs) philosophical rabbit hole. I love it. I think that's why you have the idea of convergence, right? I think mm. that at some point things simplify. You know, right now, uh, I, I commonly use the example of you use chat GPT to write you um, an, uh, a cold email to, to a new potential customer. That new customer at some point will just spam, filter everything out and distill the key points of what the email was in the first place. And so there's kind of, uh, at some point, it will just become a, a case of transferring information as as effectively as possible, I, mm-hmm. I imagine. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think it will it will converge, I guess, into the trying to think of how to say what I'm thinking. Yeah. If 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 I have an AI who's helping me do something and and, let, and let's just use a B2B context to fought, to go with your example, right? So I have a podcast and I've got the AI helping me write a a, a message to you saying, Hey, I'd like you to be on the podcast. And you have an AI that's filtering all your email that's coming in. 
then if my AI knows that you have an AI, then my AI is going to recommend a different format and a different way of saying it because the way it needs to write it to get through your AI is different than it would be as if it was a human reading it. Mm. So and at some point you can just assume that that is the case. Yeah. 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 Um, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting question to follow up with. Some, same same yeah. with deep fakes, right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. You'll always have people deep faking and deep fake detecting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I d- yeah. I've talked about, you know, trying to, people talked about watermarking and all that sort of stuff in the past. And, you know, my position is, is that as soon as somebody comes out with a watermarking tool within 24 hours, somebody will come out with a tool that will remove the watermark. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to, again, it's going to be a cold war and it's going to be a race to the bottom. But that's kind of how it is at the minute. You know, mm. people take photos that include, you know, every photo has this stuff called EXIF data in it, which is the date and the time and all the settings and all that sort of stuff that the image was taken. That's in like, it's not super secret, but I would say the vast majority of people don't actually realize that that information is there. Mm. But there are also tools that you can use to edit that EXIF information. So you can take Mm -hmm. a photo that was old and you can modify the date and the time that that was taken to make it seem like it was new. So... Mm -hmm. If you then uploaded that to say your WhatsApp or something to, let's say you were up to some nefarious activity and you wanted to show that you were in a different location at a, at a particular date and time, you could literally go in, edit the EXIF information about the image and then upload that. And then you could point to it in court and say, but I took this picture at this location at this time. Mm. And for all intents and purposes, it would seem that that image was taken at that place and time. So you can do that already, but just most people don't know about it. Mm-hmm. It's the dual use problem. <laughs> everything's good and everything's bad all at the same time. So mm-hmm. we have to do the best that we can. I think, you know, as we move forward, talking to you yesterday was, was quite interesting. And I've, it's it's been rolling around in the back of my mind. And I I think that Maybe one of the solutions we have moving forward is that we have specialist AI tools only. So if you want to do math, you can go to Wolfram and you can talk Mm -hmm. to their API and it will do all the mathematics for you. If you want a chemistry, you want to solve a chemistry problem or you have a chemistry question or whatever, you've got a chemistry, you know, AI that you can go to, or if you have a writing problem or you have X or Y, you can go to those individual ones, but they're, trained as specialists in their individual areas. I think where the risk comes in is that you get the general, it's that layer sitting on top or the, or the one that starts to incorporate all the different tools into one massive set. And I think, you know, maybe if we just keep specialist tools uh, as very narrow AI in a particular Mm -hmm. discipline we might be able to make it because they won't be able to take over anything else. It's only where you get them, where they have access to everything equally that I think it gets to be a problem. Don't know how I got on that. Um, Mm. Right. I'm conscious of time. We've been chatting now for an hour. (laughs) Uh, There's a bit to edit out, but that's okay. We'll, we'll do that in a minute. So Mm -hmm. any final thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think all all this stuff is really interesting because I think that it's going to have to force us to reevaluate what it means to be human and 
and also reevaluate what gives us purpose and what gives us drive. And I think to a not to bring it back to capitalism again, but to a large extent, I think capitalism has been a drive for a really long time and will continue to be a drive for a little while. But I do definitely see it reaching its uh, end. Eventually, it's not going to be enough of a drive simply because most of the things that we can do will be able to be replaced but yeah, it, it, it's interesting. And also, I think it's, it's interesting to think about whether or not something that's going to happen within our lifetimes or not. I think it's becoming more and more feasible that, that it will. Yeah. Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's pretty much my conclusion on this. We'll, 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 we'll have to see. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much that can be said, but it's... it's mm. it, again, like we were saying, it depends on how humans how humans interact with it. Even if it is possible that we could reach a perfectly utopian singularity or whatever, whether or not certain people would want to allow that is also a different question. Um, mm -hmm. Capitalism benefits certain people a lot and there's, there's arguably a large motivator to keep it as such. Mm -hmm. yep. So that's mm -hmm. also a factor. Yeah, I think the economic discussion is a, is a whole separate podcast and I really want to do one. I'm looking for an economist to come on mm -hmm. because, yeah, we can't go down that track right now. I don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's cool. So, right, plug Choppity. Tell everybody where to find it, why they should use it. <laughs> yeah, so you can find us at choppity.com and you should definitely use it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's great for if you've got a video podcast. We know that it's a huge struggle to, you know, handle doing the video editing and then also to handle doing the distribution. There's just so many things to do if you're an independent podcaster, and we just really want to make it as easy as possible for 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 people to be able to run a podcast. So. Yeah, come come and find us at chopti.com. And you can also drop us an email or a message if you're interested, chopti.com slash contact. Uh, we really like hearing from people. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And I'll put links to everything in the show notes and um, cool. on the Creators with AI website as well. And just one final thought for me on that is I think it could also be really useful, not just for people who do podcasts, but anyone who does video content and I think about like companies, I think there's a lot of companies that do things like record meetings and they record, you know, phone calls and they record appearances at trade shows and all sorts of things. And I think a lot of them don't have, they're not video editors. They don't have the skills. They don't run podcasts and they don't work with video content a lot. And I think, you know, your tool could also be really valuable for them because if you've got somebody who maybe had a meeting or an all hands or something like that, and they just want an easy way to take and grab those clips out and then maybe share them around either the company or, you know, to just to share information or to use on the company's website and, and, you know, Twitter feeds and all that sort of stuff, social content. Um, it could be really useful for them as well. So if there's someone listening and you don't have a podcast, don't think that you can't use it. You could use it even if you just work at a company and you you know record meetings every once in a while and somebody said something really funny or particularly insightful. You can use it for that as well, I assume. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we even have uh, stand-up comedians and, uh, you know, TED Talk guests and such using it uh, to, to click on content. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect. Brilliant. Zara, Aaron, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you as thank well. Thank you so much, That's David. Right, speak to you later. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn, but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our two main platforms and it really helps other listeners find the show and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure. So it'd be amazing if you could help us with that. If you've got any questions, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, feel free to send us an email. The best email is hello at creativeswith.ai. Or you can shoot us a message on social media. Either one is fine. We love hearing from all of you and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that. Let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Featurehand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us and we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.